Welcome to Engines, EVs, and Espresso. Am I saying that right, Molly? Yes, you are. The podcast that is inspired by our love for caffeine, machines, and all things in between. I love that. That gives me chills a little bit. I think that just like defines the personality that both of us have very well. So I'm Abby, the host of Racing Forces, and this is a Racing Forces media podcast the topic that just needed its own new show. I am what people call a management consultant or a strategist, but not the racing kind, not the racing kind. I have worked in automotive for the past 10 years of my life, and I just didn't think there were places I could go and geek out about everything in between these that Molly said. Yeah, I'm Molly. I think a lot of you know me as a bunch of red flags with the L in flags being one for F1 from over on TikTok where I break down the daunting engineering topics around F1 cars. Um, I am a mechanical engineer by degree and I've also been in industry for nearly 10 years and I work in powertrains for an OEM here in the US. Uh, So I live, breathe, eat, sleep cars. Um, And then I am also a huge racing fan. um, So I'm kind of tech-minded but love all of the chaotic banter the culture around cars and sport sporting with cars in general um so i also felt like i didn't have anywhere to turn which led me to tiktok which has now led me here we also have an honorary shout out to our producer ali you're gonna listen from in just a few minutes with that should we get started on today's episode What coffee are we drinking today? Should we should we talk about like how we kind of did this whole Valtteri? How, why are we talking about Valtteri Bottas? So for people who don't know, Valtteri Bottas is an F1 driver, and unless you're living under a rock, uh, yeah. but maybe you're not. Sorry, we didn't mean to diminish your choices in life. But Valtteri Bottas yeah. is currently a driver for Alfa Romeo, and used yes. to be Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes's teammate. Mm-hmm. And he has a coffee roastery. In Finland, right? And yes. it's called, what, Kahiva Roasters? I think that's the name. Ali, do you know what the right way to say Valtteri's coffee company's name is? We don't want to picture it. In my head, I always have said Kahiwa, but that only lives in my brain, and I have no, I've never heard it spoken out loud. So, one to ask Valtteri when we inevitably yes. meet him one day. Yeah, hey, <laughs> hey Valtteri, can you tell us how to pronounce your your coffee name, uh, Kitos, which is thank you in Finnish, in advance. <laughs> and I think we can go to some research and come back in a couple of yeah. episodes. But you and I were talking about trying it. And mm-hmm. then we started talking with our producer, Allie, and she already had it. And now we all have the samples yes. of his Christmas set. And the favorite one that I had out of his set of four was the Santa Teresa, the Nicaraguan yeah. beans. Was that your favorite? That was my favorite because it caters to like my type of like notes that I like 
Um, it's like noted as like vanilla, milk chocolate, and like nectarines, so, like the stone fruit. But I really like those like warm and sweet type notes. But the one that really kind of caught me off guard that I really liked, and it was more so I think because it was a very interesting tasting note, was the Chipansacor. Chip. I can't say it. It's the Kenyan, and I've been trying to say Chip it for like Sangor. three or four times. Chipsangor, thank you. Chip I'm Sangor. like, I'm like Schmidt from New Girl, um, but the Kenyan. You are. And it's tasting notes were sea buckthorn, kiwi, and toffee. So you've got that like warm kind of toffee note in there, but the sea buckthorn and kiwi was really interesting to me. And like I said, I don't really like a fruitier coffee, but I really got the like kiwi to me. And I have a kiwi allergy, so I can't have kiwi. And so to have like that tasting mm. note in there was really really cool to me, and I thought it was so tasty. So that's probably my close like other favorite out of the set they were all phenomenal though but i think that the nicaraguan is like it was just out of this world and then the kenyan was my my next favorite i just remember drinking santa Teresa and going well that was sublime and it does really well on latte even though it's like past like it's two months roasting point maybe Mm -hmm. Uh, i still haven't done it as a straight up espresso which i probably should and my next one is going to be the galay the ethiopian beans that he has yeah and it's fake almonds and oranges and i kind of have figured out that a chocolatey flavor with stone fruit does really well for my palate it's very sublime but well that's the word that's the word we're going with it's a word of the and word. so we're gonna <laughs> try that next but ali tell us your favorite out of the all of it um well i went into it not really knowing what to expect because I love coffee. I love learning about things like tasting notes, et cetera, et cetera. But basically I was raised on coffee that is as black as my soul. And like you take the beans and you kill them with fire and that's, then you give them to me. Not a moment before. Um, So I was really not sure what to expect of these very like, to my estimate, very like lightly roasted beans. Um, but predictably, probably the Nicaraguan was my favorite because the tasting notes are a little more in line with what I usually go for. So like milk, chocolate, vanilla, the nectarine was nice. That was kind of a different, that was like an elaboration on the usual like chocolate and tar that I go for on a daily basis. Um, well, we didn't know this before recording, by the way, the Nicaraguan was your favorite too. So I guess yeah. we've got consensus. We do. Yeah. And if you like that like black like your soul tarry like really sweet noted um intelligentsia out of chicago has a really good bean called black cat and it's delicious it's like very sweet and roasty probably like it's very dark and then also thinking of like other beans from them abby saying you like the stone fruit they have one called fruit bat that's all fruit notes i don't like it i've tried to love it i don't like it at all because it is too fruity for me but you might like that one too because it's like all stone fruit Oh, we'll have to give that all a shot. But like we wanted to do a coffee podcast too. So I think yeah. this all kind of like makes sense. We're going to talk yeah. about everything. Coffee between... and cars go hand in hand in car culture between caffeine and machine and that long storied history over in the UK and over here in the US side um, with our everybody knows it as cars and coffee. It kind of goes hand in hand. That's a very interesting almost right comparison between American and European car culture, let's call it that. And I think car culture has a very interesting way of seeping into commercial cars and as well as racing cars, right? Because if you think about it, and I was reading this recently, 
Ferdinand Porsche, who started Porsche in 1900, I think that's around when he did uh, his first ever, the Loner Voyagerette, which is actually the first ever hybrid, I think, design. I may be wrong on this, but this is so early on, right? 1900. His father was a tin salesman and he understood the importance of racing in a way because advertising was a big part of his business as well. And that marketing dollars that can fuel the development of your product was such a big part of like Porsche's history. And that's why like Porsche racing and Porsche commercial cars have had always like almost the same seat at the table. And the point I was trying to make was about car culture and motorsports culture being very similar in America and Europe, but also not being very similar because the fact that American motorsports, even though it comes a lot, the single seater racing came over from Europe. American motorsports has a very different history. It comes from prohibition. 1920s stock cars were used to smuggle booze and the runners were outfitting the cars to make them run so much faster than the cops could catch up to them. And that eventually became NASCAR. But the single seater came as a way that a wealthy part of the European crowd was using their time and money for a new sport, like all the other, let's say, exclusive sports are born. And then the industry really boomed post-World War II, if I'm not mistaken, because there were a bunch of aeronautics and aerospace engineers in the UK out of jobs, and some in, of course, Italy as well. And they started working on cars. And that's why, like, these F1 cars that we look at today, everybody says, oh, are they planes or are they cars? And that's correct, because if you think about how the shell of an F1 car is manufactured, it's very aeroplane-like. There's a tube almost, and then the wings come on. And that manufacturing style is so, I think, Boeing and Airbus, they kind of put together a plane the same way an F1 car is built together. So that's like very similar. So an F1 car is a car or a plane, something in between, and that's why they're so fast. And it's such an important part of the history. And it's so interesting that there is these influences from both the continents that come in and out, but have this very interesting history as well I don't know what your thoughts are on this as well yeah I think I this is like one of my favorite facts about the um like European aviation and how it found its way into racing and where you can kind of start to see those ties and that culture around that world um is that Alpha Tauri which is a Formula One team um their UK wind tunnel um is actually a former fighter jet wind tunnel and I believe it was I can find out which Mm. one it was and we can put it in the show notes post but it actually was used to develop one of the UK's fighter jets back in the day. And that wind tunnel is still operational. They still use it today. It's really old in the grand scheme of wind tunnels, but they do still use it. Um, And so I think that that's kind of a cool, like, nod to that influence. And you can see it still today in places like that. And then as for, like, the cultural side, having kind of got my start in NASCAR, it's been very interesting to see both sides of the single-seater, the sports car, the F1 versus the NASCAR, whereas like I find over here, it's just like 
great old time. I think it's it's very open. It's very easy. It's very friendly. And then it's almost still rooted in that we want to develop a sport because we have some spare money in the European side that you kind of talked about. And it is highly gate kept and it is very like, well, there's a high barrier of entry um, and you have to kind of prove yourself even as an American in general. Um, so I think it's it's very apparent and very interesting to see both sides. I don't know where I'm going with this point, but I think that that's kind of just my observation and the differences. No, it makes a lot of sense. But I think the barrier to entry piece that you talked about is super interesting yeah. because the barrier to entry is also very different by design mm -hmm. because F1 today, and people don't realize this a lot, and even though series like Formula E, the Formula series have always been a part of adding to actual commercial car development which is what uh, I'm going to be able to talk at South by Southwest on a stage this year. But the real world impact that Formula One has brought to car companies mm -hmm. is huge. And I don't know when Toto Wolf, the team principal of uh, Mercedes AMG Formula One, said this a couple of years ago, that since Mercedes came back to the sport, which was, am I correct? Is it 14 or 13? Do we know what year that was? They came back long before that because the 2012 car, they thought the engine was going to get banned with the turbo hybrid. They came back in turbo hybrids. That would have been 2012. Okay. Yeah. So they came. No, turbo hybrid was 2014. Am I? How off am I then? They came back because they thought that that engine was going to get banned because it was so good and they turned it down. We're going to wait for Allie to give us yeah, that. Allie, fact check us, we'll please. Come back to this. Yes. Please fact check us. Uh 2014. Ah, See? okay. So yes, turbo hybrid. So you're right. I'm sorry. I yeah, turbo hybrid you. was 20, uh, turbo hybrid. Yeah. So yeah. So they came in with turbo hybrid, and since they came in and they've been able to use that technology and the popularity and all of it, their learnings from the racing team to the car side of the company, they've gone up like 400% in sales, which is the reason. Most of the players in Formula One do this. A really good thing our listeners could look at for like that um, development that comes into road cars and back and forth. And a lot of people probably heard me talk about this is actually the rear view mirror camera. It is now really, really common on a lot of like the more luxury type cars where your rear view mirror is a camera. That was actually developed in GT3 and sports car racing where you can't see the cars that are coming behind you in the sightlines of these sports cars. And there are multi-class cars going varying speeds up to five classes at a time and they're maybe just going to flash their headlights at you and that's a big ask and a big if and so you can't see that there's cars coming so i believe it was corvette or one of the other bigger teams that actually put a camera feed in the rear and fed it into a screen right by the driver in the cockpit so that they could see what was coming behind them and now that it's found its way into pretty much everybody's cars today that are on the road. I think everybody is out, everybody that's out there on the road has this as an option in their car. Yeah. And I think Formula One was responsible for the rear view yes. mirror that in every general. car has in general. Mm -hmm. Like that's yeah. like, you can talk and be like, oh, that's a sport. No, no, no. It's a sport that impacted what you drive on a daily basis today. Yep. And as well as, I think disc brakes and safety cells. Mm -hmm. That was also Formula One's biggest kind of, let's like gift to society. Let's call it that. 
However, Indian NASCAR, it's more about that sport. It's about yeah. let's get these people in a car and race it out. And it's a pure marketing vehicle. Formula One is a marketing as well as a development vehicle. The development part being the first one of it. And that's why I think the barrier to entry is big because these are these companies that are anywhere from 75 to 100, 150 billion dollars worth. And that's not small. And that's why I think the gatekeeping of it, the brand value of it, is a luxury brand piece, and which is the same thing as a Chanel bag, right? Like, do we see the value of a Chanel bag? It's debatable. But if you sold a Chanel bag at the, or if you didn't control the market the way it did, you wouldn't be able to make money with selling what you're supposed to be selling. So I think that gatekeeping is almost unintentional. But also, of course, we've talked about the intentional piece so many times now. So this almost like I think we're going to keep talking about this in almost every episode, right? Why is American and European motorsports different? And Formula One is not the only thing. And of course, there's dollar values that kind of tell us what's big. And NASCAR is probably the second biggest racing series in the world. Yes, and you do not like NASCAR, and it is my mission to make you like NASCAR. Hey, I never said that. You are, said, you are not convinced by NASCAR. I'm not convinced yet because that's the engineering brain. That's the business yeah. brain. I just like Formula One to me is that onion with 500 layers inside of it. Yes. NASCAR to me is just like a one trick pony. Two, dude, two, two dudes fighting. That's the <laughs> only way I see NASCAR, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they do fight yes. sometimes, but right yeah, it's almost like the we've seen all seen talladega nights and talladega nights so is much, such a bad reference i don't want to say it's a bad rep- representation because it it's is. so much for it's the such a bad representation of racing but oh my god and uh, it's almost like ricky bobby and what was sasha baron cohen's character again um oh god what is her name? i just want to say simon pagino because that's what everybody likens him to looking like who is an indie car driver but it's not it's not um, uh, What's oh, the name? John something, I think, but he drives a San Pellegrino car. Um, oh my God, uh, what is Allie, his name? Allie, do you have the answer for us? Uh, Jean Girard? Yes, thank you. That guy. So it's such a weird, right? It's almost a <laughs> way of like America views a European driver. Yeah. It's not the truth almost, right? This guy is so fancy but not in a good way he's almost like a fictionalized version of course he is but it's like almost a fictionalized version of a driver it's almost also a joke on american racing drivers too right Mm -hmm. because like ricky bobby is this character that we're just like we don't get completely but it's a really great way to view how like both sides of the party see each other yeah it is that is a great example everybody should be watching Talladega Nights even if you're an F1 fan quintessential and you don't like NASCAR everybody should be watching that movie yes quintessential let's talk about Formula E yeah so Formula E you were talking about race seasons starting to kind of spin up and get started and there already are series that got started so Formula E kicked off in Mexico And it was a really big kickoff because this was the first race for their brand new Gen 3 car. 
So this was a totally, completely new car for the series as a whole. Um, this is obviously the third iteration in their ninth season of the series. And so this car, it, to me, it looks like a paper airplane. I'm sorry, but it does. But they're really cool. I'm very, very <laughs> impressed by them. If you look at them, it looks like a paper airplane that I can fold up and make myself. <laughs> it really does. But It looks like an electric go-kart to me. Yes. But... And it was a blast. I was. It, I think it said a lot for how the season might develop to see what this mm. is going to hold because these new cars are more powerful, but they have a lot less grip and they are insanely physical to drive. Um, and they have a new tire too. So it is a whole new thing. And there was a driver that came out after testing was like, I do not feel well prepared for this um, actually. And so it was very, very evident in Mexico that there was a lot of physicality with these cars, more physical than a lot of drivers were used to. And then they were just sliding everywhere. And it was not a lot of grip, but a lot of power, which is kind of as expected based on what I said about the car, where it's more power, less grip. So you're grip limited, mm -hmm. which means you have more than enough power, but your tires can't handle all that power. So you have to kind of drive accordingly to get through that limitation so that you're not spinning out in corners or you're not you're missing the corner you're locking up in flat flat spotting your tires so to be grip limited that severely is um, a big thing for driving style drivers too but aside from that there were some really big storylines we kind of thought we knew what was going to happen after preseason testing and we came in to mexico and the customer teams outperformed the manufacturers like how wild is that where like this How is, is the equivalent even? this is the equivalent of like williams outperforming mercedes in formula one like that's how big of a deal this is. And so Porsche seems like they came to play. They were the only manufacturer that really kept up with their customer teams. They had, I think, four or five cars in the top 10 by the end of the race. The rookies looked phenomenal. There was some great rookie racing in this race. And then McLaren's debut is also a huge storyline this season. Um, McLaren purchased Mercedes Formula E team that was um, ceasing operations after the 2021 season. So it's largely Mercedes staffed. Everybody's still there. Same team principal, but it's now under the McLaren arm. But they are now on a Nissan powertrain, which is different than what they were doing in the past. So that's going to be one to kind of watch. But they are a well-oiled machine in race execution. So I think that they could be in for a really good season based on this first race performance. And then the big names struggled. All of the teams that we kind of expected to show up and look good, Penske, Nismo, Maserati, weren't that great. They really kind of underwhelming. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the development cycle and how this kind of goes. And the new car is so fascinating. And we've kind of talked about this offline, but it's very, very soft suspension, tons of roll, which is your left to right ability of the car. Like it looks very, very free really just wants to kind of turn on you and that ties into the physicality of the car and being so grip limited. So I think Formula E is going to be one to watch this season period. If you like single seaters, please, please, please give them a chance. It is such a blast. It's 45 minutes. So it's not a huge commitment. I think they still need to figure out their, let's say distribution strategy. I don't think, and it's always almost a budget deal, right? Does somebody want to put you on TV? Do you have to pay them or... And it's almost like who wants to put them on versus if they want to be put on, right? They used to be on CNBC for the US and I had to go find like a bootleg to watch Mexico. Like I couldn't, I didn't know where to find it. I'm glad they got rid of the fan boost mode because that seemed, made it seem like a live action game. Can I jump in with what fan boost is for the unaware? Yeah. 
So for anybody that's not familiar with the Formula E format at all, they used to have something called Fan Boost, which was where you could go vote for your favorite driver and they would get an extra boost of power for a limited amount of time if they won the Fan Boost. So it gave them kind of an extra kind of oomph to attack and uh, go against their competition. And so it was a big popularity contest. And I, I liked the driver that was constantly winning Fan Boost uh, last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, they was got it rid of it. Stoffel Van Dorn? It was. Stoffel Van Dorn was constantly getting Fan Boost. He's like the king of fan boost. Yeah, I, I laughed. Yeah. He like tweeted something when they said fan boost was going away. It was like no more fan boost or something. Like it was a really funny tweet about <laughs> like him being in on the note. Like he's always getting fan boost. Uh, so and then oh yeah, and then Ali pointed out that Antonio Giovinazzi got it all the time because he was racing at Formula E last season too. It was very much a popularity contest of who got it. It's kind of like that with driver of the day too with formula one but it was always who who did everybody like that they were going to get fan boost not maybe who was on a charge or who maybe needed it to try and get through the field it was just i like that guy he can he can have fan boost so fan boost is a fun concept i think we'd be giving it to carlos Sainz and pierre gasly if we had the access in formula one to give drs yeah, I that would, that's right. kind of I don't want to put that idea in anybody's brain, but like fan voted DRS, that'd be so fun. But I think <laughs> Checo would win it all the time because he gets driver of the day a lot because he is very popular. But I think fan voted DRS would be kind of a cool concept. I hate to say it. Yeah, I did not love it, but I'm not above it either. So I think that that's it for us in this first part of our kickoff episode extravaganza. We are going to come at you with a, another second really exciting part where we'll touch on some topics such as the General Motors and Andretti entry into Formula One, some really cool car tech from Alpine, and some other fun happenings in the automotive industry. You can find all of our socials in the show notes. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and stay caffeinated. Thank you for listening to Engine Thieves and Espresso. heavily into the mic. It's like the heavy breathing cat meme where it's like...